From Content360, this is the state of client acquisition. Hey, and I'm very excited to be joined by Ray Green. Ray, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Great to be connected with you. I was really looking forward to this. It was a, was a while in the making. And uh, I'll be open because I had a little bit of, I was a little bit starstruck and I was thinking, yeah, I really want to talk to this guy, but I don't have like a really neat and fancy process set up for this. I don't like have like a nice landing page where I explain how my podcast works and so on. So I was a little bit shit. I have to first do this. But then I just said, okay, I'm just going to send him a nice email and hopefully he will come. So great to have you, man. Yeah, dude. I, well, I'll say your process is, I think one of the most thorough and organized that I've done for a podcast. So I, oh, you know, okay. if this is the the MVP, I can't wait to see what the the full <laughs> the full the full setup's going to be. That's great. Okay, thanks. I appreciate the compliment. Yeah, man. Cool. Well, so Ray, as an intro, I mean, it's best if you do this. All I know is that you're an entrepreneur based in Mexico, and you help client based businesses market and sell themselves. Did I did I say that right? Yeah, that's about right. Um, so we're we're based in, or I'm based in just uh, just north of Cabo um, mm -hmm. in, in Baja, California, sir, and uh, have been here for a few years now. So so fully remote um, pre pre COVID, and that was a that was an interesting transition. And like you said, yeah, we have a we have a small team here, and we work uh, primarily with with B two B companies that are looking to to grow. We we focus more on the the sales side of things, but. Um, mm -hmm. sales, sales is obviously affected by marketing, by product, by, you know, all the other factors that, that influence sales. So, um, that's been our focus and I've been bumping around for a few years into, to finding the, the sweet spot and we've got some traction and we're off to the races now. What brought you to Cabo? Um, good question. So I had just finished, I was working with, uh, as an operator for private equity groups and. I finished what was like candidly, like a, a really shitty contract. Like it was just a, the, it was just, it was really tough work. It was, you know, 15, 16, 18 hour days. And while I was doing that, like one of the people that I wanted to hire to run the national sales team um, was somebody that I had worked with before. And he said, I'm glad, I'm glad to do it, but I'm moving to Cabo. And it was a remote team. So I said, all right, cool. So I came down to, to visit him while I was still, while I was still working there. We did some, we did business. Um, and then shortly after that, the, the engagement ended and my wife and I kind of looked at each other and I was just burnt out. Like I was just, I was completely burnt out from, from the private equity contracts, from the grind. And we just had a unique opportunity. We had a friend that was already here and we said, well, if not now, like then when? So we just, we took a shot and came down here and I said, I'd, I was going to take a break and just figure out how to, how to create income. So it's kind of the mm -hmm. story of how we got here. Awesome. And how is it for, I presume you're American, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and how is it for American? Can you just move to Mexico? Like, is there not a, no, no visa issues? Is that easy to settle? Uh, so we do, we have like, we have residency. Um, so we're, I mean, we're not citizens, but we have residency and we went through the formal process. I mean, I think Mexico is pretty, pretty lenient for, I think you can stay up to six months without, without a yeah. visa or anything. So, um, but yeah, we went through the whole the whole process and have our, our Mexican IDs. And, um, and I, I go back periodically, I'm going back in a couple of weeks and I do some client stuff and then, but usually not much longer than a week or two. Cool. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I lived in Mexico for a year, but it's like 25 years ago. So I know the country quite well. I was even in, I was even in Cabo. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so different 25 years ago, man. Yeah. 
yeah, I see the pictures and stuff. Like, and there's, um, I talked to people that were here 20, 25 years ago and they're like, it's, it's a hundred times bigger. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's been interesting to see the growth. And where are you now? I'm in Austria. Okay. I was, for yeah. some reason, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking Germany or something. Yeah. No, that's the accent. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I lived in cool. Germany as a, as a kid though. Okay. Interesting. Do you speak German? I did as a kid. I don't anymore. Okay. You know, cool. I, uh, when we were firing up like Duolingo, I was like, all right, I've got to learn Spanish. And I said, you know, I'll give myself some confidence. Let me, let me open up the German Duolingo. And, and I, and they were like, yeah, you're not even a first grader. So mm. you need to start all over. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. So Ray, I'm very interested in your journey because you mentioned it quite uh, kind of frequently in your marketing materials, your journey to consistent 40 K months. Could you, uh, because I saw on your website also, you have, you offer different things. You, you offer sales audits and then you have, and this seems to be more for the like slightly bigger companies. And then you do sort of coaching programs and that's more for solopreneurs. Can yep. you share like, how does your like pie chart wise, where, how does your revenue roughly break down? Who do you serve the most? How does that work? Yeah, great, great question. So we do it's been a transition. So it's like been this, this continuum and evolution with the business, which I think every solopreneur goes through this. I said yesterday on LinkedIn in my post, I said, you know, building your business online is like, is like being a Roomba, right? Like you're just like bouncing around sometimes till you get product market fit and then you get a little traction. Um, so we, we, I started doing virtually everything. Like I didn't, I was like, ah, I'm going to coach. I'm gonna, so I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just, I'm, I'm a remote entrepreneur. I'm just going to figure out how to get clients and how to get income. And over the course of months and years, I started to, to figure out where my niche was and what my, what my work was going to be. Um, so what the past year and a half has been almost exclusively selling the sales audit and then doing fractional work. Um, and so the, the audit is a, it's a standalone product that we don't, we don't have to do the work. It's not like a, Hey, here's a free audit that always ends with you need my services. It's a legit, you know, four to eight week deep dive into something that's a playbook for, um, and we give recommendations, half of which we don't even do. Right. And it's, you know, so we, we do a deep dive into that. And at the end of that, there's the opportunity. If there are things that we can help with, then we'll step in and do, we'll do the fractional work. Um, but that was, you know, like that, that product came to be out of just out of experience with prior fractional roles and it was and maybe even like the private equity stuff like once you get into a company and then you pop the hood and you realize it's not at all what you thought it was or you know you talk to a prospect that says we need xyz so you step into that role and you're like all right i'm here to do xyz and you're like shit like you don't this isn't what you need at all like you need a b and c um so we i, I introduced the audit really so that i could start engagements with a better idea of what I was actually getting into. And it was, it was really intentionally designed to be objective and independent. So when I give, when I give those recommendations, because I wanted it to have credibility on its own, there's no, you can take that same playbook. You can take that full audit to anybody that you want. Right. And many of the times I, I don't want to do the work. Like it's for, for one reason or another. And um, so it gives us the opportunity, both of us to kind of feel each other out and see if it's going to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And the the pie chart is, it's in the process of changing, right? We actually just updated the website this weekend. 
Um, and it's in the process of changing because I used to do three fractional contracts at a time. Then that became two. Now that's, now that's one. I want to focus on one. And then I use the other time to do the coaching and work with other, other solopreneurs or basically like executive freelancers, people that want to do what I've done. And if I can help people through, through my journey, then, um, mm. start doing, doing more of that. When you say executive freelancer, is that effectively fractional CXOs? Yeah, I think it's, <clears throat> um, I'm still figuring out, but I, when I think of it, I think of the, the many executives that were in the same spot that I was, which is, I know kind of what I want. I know I don't want the nine to five anymore, which is usually like the nine to nine. And, but I know I have, I've got mortgages, I've got car payments. I have to have, you know, hundred, 200,000 a year in income. And so when I stepped out, man, I didn't even know, I was like, yeah, I'm a coach. Yeah. I'm a consultant. Yeah. I'm a contractor. Yeah. I'm like, I'm whatever, whoever has money needs me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm a smart guy that'll try to help you solve your problems. And I think that there's a lot of executives from the conversations I've had. There's just a lot of executives that are now exploring this whole, wait, I can create income online remotely, but how do I do it? Like, where do I start? I know my, I know my trade, I know my profession and I know I'm really good at what I do, but I don't know the first thing about standing up like funnels or marketing or how to leverage con anything like so. And I've just learned all that shit the hard way, man. Like it was just mm. trial and error and experimentation and trial and error. And if, if my journey can be of help for somebody else, then um, yeah, I'm having fun coaching some, some solopreneurs on that. Very interesting. Do you, do you feel that this is part of the great resignation that even executives are leaving in order to have a better lifestyle is that is, is it the lifestyle question and, and part of that phenomenon 100 it's like the for me it was the timing just happened to be right right like it was like when when covid started and there was quarantines and people were forced to go remote i was already remote and so it it actually neutralized it made my life easier like i mean i know it, it didn't for everybody but it made yeah. my life easier now that that's been somewhat normalized there are a lot of executives that are open to it or exploring that wouldn't have before because they just, and there's now more people talking about it on LinkedIn, right? There's more of me and there's more people. And so it just creates this, well, shit, why am I, why am I doing this? You know, and it's part of it's probably freedom. Part of it's lifestyle. Part of it's why do I have to wait until I'm 65 to live in Cabo? You know, like yeah. I can go do that now. And, yeah. and you really legitimately actually can, And it doesn't take three years like it took me. Like I was just, I'm either a slow learner or I just didn't have as like the, the people to, to learn from, um, but it doesn't necessarily need to take that long either. Very interesting. So you are, did you start with these fractional roles when you, and that was in March 20, when was that? March, 2018, is that right? You left the Chamber of Commerce then? Yep, yep. Okay, so that is now, it's exactly four years ago. Yeah, holy shit, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You Four days ago, actually, I think March March 18th. I want to say March 18th. Excellent. And so you started with uh, taking on fractional roles. Is that how the journey started? Yeah, I started doing contracting as an executive. So mm -hmm. it was, I didn't call it fractional at the time, but I was never I was never a W two employee. I was a I was a contractor. I was a yep. an executive contractor. I think is what my LinkedIn said okay. years ago. 
Good. I and, use the right term. and so I, and I, and so I was, I took the first role was really, um, I got, it was 12, 18 months, I think. Um, and that was the primary thing that I was doing. And it was after, it was after that, that I, I wanted to start to get clients, right. Instead of just like finding the next contract role, um, like a, an operator mm-hmm. type of thing. Okay. Um, and so that's when we, that's when we moved to, to Cabo. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, so you, you moved to Cabo. That was in uh, roughly in uh, Q1 or Q2 2019. Yeah. I want to say August ish, 19. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And so, so the first year effectively of your entrepreneurial journey was you were a contractor, but only for one client. So it was almost as if you were still an employee. It's just, yep. okay, got it. And so then in, in w- w- once you've done this for a year, you started to kind of delve into the whole topic of client acquisition yep. to get more of the same type of clients. Yep. Okay. So how did you go about that? <laughs> um, I sat in an empty office in Mexico and I said, what do you, how do you, what do you do? And so I'm like, I'm looking on Upwork. Um, I was looking at, there's some sites like Catalent, Go Catalent, there were, that worked with like some private equity people. Like I'm just scouring the internet for any platforms or any channels or anything that you can do. And, and that's where I got my first few logos. I mean, it wasn't, it was part of the journey. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of the platforms now, but, um, it was part of my journey. And so that's what I did first. Like I started hunting for stuff online, like, no, my at the time, my LinkedIn profile still said I lived in Dallas. It's still like I still had this facade or this mirage. I was afraid to like fully lean into being remote. I was afraid to fully lean into what it is that I do. Like I'm so I was still trying to project like this traditional image of an executive. And I'm you know I'm and I'm trying and I'm talking to companies that are in the states, like basically trying to convince them to hire somebody remotely, right? So it was just a. Um, it was, it was a lot of just tr- like trying shit, like experimenting and, and testing different things out. Mm-hmm. And so how did you get your first new client after the first one? My first client came from, actually came from Upwork. Upwork? Yeah. Um, it was a, I later found out it was actually, it was an executive that had a, he had to write a sales playbook and he didn't, um, he hired me to write the sales book sales playbook and like so he, he kind of subbed it out he subbed out his his role um mm-hmm. so that was my okay. that was my first client okay good and that was it's more like a one-off engagement creating a sales playbook that's not an ongoing role that wasn't an ongoing role no uh-uh. and okay. so shortly around that time i i like revisited linkedin and i saw that there are like a handful of people that were just creating content every day and i I picked up somebody's course. I can't remember the the course now. It was like a, it was, I can't, God. yeah, it will it'll come to me. But the, there was something in the course. There was one line in the course that said, if you're not writing, if you're not creating content on LinkedIn today, you've got to stop and ask yourself, who is it that you're thinking about every time you stop writing, right? Like, who is it, who is it that you're thinking about that you're afraid of what they think that's keeping you like that. There's a block. And, and he said, chances are, it's probably like two or three people. There's probably two or three people. It's your employer, like your, your manager, or it's two, it's your potential client that you don't want to necessarily create content, but it's like a very, very small number of people that are, that's probably keeping you from breaking through and just 
dishing out content and started and writing content. And um, shortly after that, I just started writing like this. I mean, it, 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 I didn't have my my niche really nailed down. I didn't I was on I was talking about sales. I was talking about marketing. Um, but that was really the the journey into LinkedIn, because the first few people that I got from the platforms like Upwork and others were um, they were not the the best engagements. That yeah, that's why I was surprised because Upwork is like commoditized services. Mm -hmm. right? You don't really look for rock stars there. You just look for someone who can quickly, you know, put together a landing page or something like that, right? And you always bargain for the lowest price. Yep, it's a it's a completely commoditized. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it rewards commoditization. Like it, it, and if you have a brand, they try to strip you of your brand. Absolutely, that you look and feel just like everybody else competing there, which by definition, it's like a race to the bottom on rates. Yeah, which, exactly. Which, which doesn't, not to go on this diatribe, but I, it doesn't help the, the clients either. You know, like it doesn't, like trying to make everybody look and feel the same in order to protect the anonymity of the people that are, that are doing the work so that people don't poach them off of Upwork. I completely get it. But it doesn't help the client get the best person for the role or get mm -hmm. the best work. It just helps them get the cheapest work. And if you're in... The executive space or knowledge work or anything like that it's not a might get you a couple logos but it's not what you want to build mm -hmm. a, a business on. yeah but i mean kudos to you and and it's admirable that you got somebody who wanted something as complex as a sales playbook done right so that's that's quite impressive okay and then what was the journey then so on your you're then on linkedin you're starting to produce content did people come to you or do you do any outbound prospecting yourself we don't do just recently we've started outbound in the sense that we're engaging people that engage with our content but we haven't done any any like cold outbound outreach like all of our all of our clients have come from um, having seen content engaged with content um, referrals or through some of our like really simple funnels that we have but all of it mm -hmm. all of it nowadays is is off of linkedin in one way one way or another okay so practically 100% of your entire business is either referrals or inbound. Yep. Yep. Wow. That is impressive. Okay. What because that is and you and you also haven't spent on ads. No. You no, haven't I, run ads. Okay. No. So to in, in to summarize like high level, you gone in two and a half years to 40k a month purely on inbound. Yes. Okay, that is very, very rare and very impressive. Why do you think that is? What is your what's your secret, Ray? Luck? No, I, I mean it's we all get lucky in one way or another. Like I'm not going to say it's it's all luck, but there is some, right? Like you you get a referral from somebody. Like I've had I've had a couple people that have that have sent me business. I thought, well, God, like I have nothing in in return, or they've seen my content and they introduce people. Um, I would say the number one thing that's been helpful for us is using work to get work like the the ability to take what you do for a client and this is the importance of like really understanding who your target market is and and who you're serving and the problems that you solve and like what what their pain points are and so it's we were able to get we work with coaching programs a lot of coaching programs like bigger eight-figure coaching programs and we we help with the audit we help with the fractional sales management we help with sales coaching if necessary and the first client that i got in that space was not was not terribly lucrative but we did really good work and they and, and so that you went okay well that's that's relevant now the next person that we went to in that very same space to do a very similar type of role we charged more for 
because we had something to show that we've done before. And that one led to the next one. And that one, so the, if I were drawing a line on the amount of revenue that I've been able to generate from that specific space that started with that client, it's probably 80% of our money, right? Like the, mm-hmm. and because a $3,000 a month contract became six the next time I, I said, yeah, I can do that. And now I've got some proof that became 13, that became 30 and that became 42. So it's, but the, the more relevant your work is and the more relevant your case studies are and the more relevant the results you're producing are, are for your prospect. And they go, okay, I can very much see myself in that, in, in yeah. those results. Um, I would say that's probably been one of the biggest uh, factors for us. Very interesting. And so do you, that's a good question that I think, especially my clients will benefit from a lot. When you start an engagement with someone, do you, like sort of warm them up for the idea of if you're successful that they will provide a case study for you testimonial video and so on do you sort of pre yeah pre-warn them that this is coming or is that, does it come naturally in your space no i have not but it's i mean now that you mentioned it, i probably should uh, i mean it would be it would be helpful on the front end if you if you set those expectations but i kind of have there's an anonymity component to it that's yeah for for us in this space because business coaches i mean don't supposed to know this stuff yeah like so it's there's like a little bit of of an anonymity thing but there are like definitive quant quantifiable results that i can show right yeah um but i've never asked on the front end will you will you do a case study i just go in with with an optimistic expectation that if we deliver that's also part of like one of the benefits of having a product on the front end of a fractional engagement is you really get to learn about your client. Like you, you get to learn about how they think about business, how they, like, I'm, I'm going to interact with them a lot during this audit. And, you know, at the end of that four to eight weeks, if it doesn't feel like something that's going to give that I can, I can hit a home run on, like then, you know, maybe it's not, not the right gig for me. Or if, you know, in the case of the audit, you, you look at it and go, like, Culturally, there's something I don't like here from a leadership style standpoint, you know, so it, it works both ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, I'm, I wonder, because I was just speaking to to a client who uh, is only now kind of becoming aware that he needs testimonials, so he needs to get back to his past clients and get those testimonials and get case studies and so on. So that's why I'm thinking it's, it's always quite good, even when it's a slightly bigger client, is that you sort of prime them for the idea of, hey, if this is successful, would you be open to giving me a testimonial? And especially, I feel this works very well, a video testimonial. Because people, it's like uh, the stakes are getting higher, everything's getting more difficult and credibility is difficult to establish. If you have someone on video telling you, you're awesome, you did very well, that's like as credible as it gets. And and But most people are not prepared to do this on a whim. So if you prime them before, then they're much more likely to then actually follow through. That's at least my experience. Yeah, I think that's so. We'll probably we'll probably incorporate that on the front end now. Um, yeah, I, we just we just went back to a couple people on the audit and said, "Can you do video?" And I because the 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 reason is I think it feels more credible. It's a bigger investment on behalf of the person, right? Like I can when you look at a written testimonial, you don't know like did I write that? And you said, "Okay, cool." Exactly. Um, or like, but, but if somebody makes the commitment to say, I'm going to record a message for you with my face and name on it and my words, 
yeah, it goes, it goes a, a long way. So we actually just sent out a, a note asking for some prior audits on, on a video, trying to convert the, the tech stuff into that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know from whom I think I heard it from Chris Walker. I don't want to misquote, but there is even the practice of actually offering, especially if it's a smaller company of offering them money for it, because it is a bit of a hassle, you know, so that you say, Hey, we've, or at least a discount on future services. Of course, this comes a bit of an ethical component into it, but that they say, listen, I understand that this would be an effort for you. Like we're going to have a film crew coming to your offices. You know, you have to take out one hour, be very happy to compensate you for your time. Most people then say no anyway, but then they are more likely to do that. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. Cool. Cool. But okay, let's get back to, so you hinted at that some of your revenue is recurring and some are just one-off sales audits, which then end up in something more recurring. How much of your revenue, if I may ask, is recurring versus one-off? Um, 75, 80% is, is recurring on, okay. on the fractional mm -hmm. roles and 20, 25% come from the productized stuff, which is what we're, and that's almost all audit right now. And as we put out courses and some other programs, we're looking to, to increase that, which I think is the next move for us. So the courses will, of course, increase the non-recurring stuff, right? It will, but the, the I look at the courses as also like an introduction to to the audience, right? So the like if you if if I sit down and if I go through your course and your content's credible, and at the end of that you have services that help me implement some of that or any of that, um, I think that it helps improve your authority and your credibility after you've gone through like the, the course mm -hmm. piece. That's kind of how I'm, I look at the, the introductory offers. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, especially if these introductory offers that are, let's say two, a two figure or three figure, right? This is not a, like yeah. it's, we're not looking at a $10,000 course, right? You're looking like 500, something like that. Yeah. I was actually, I was listening to one of your podcasts and I know I said, I think I heard you say you don't like the term like high ticket. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't I, like it. I always look at it in terms of high ticket and the low ticket pieces. And I, you know, I'm, the, the course that I did, the, the the introductory course that I did, the online client acquisition system was really just taking Justin Welsh's tripwire model. Mm. Like just, mm. just go out, create a piece of content, something that you can speak about naturally, easily for a period of time and put it out there because it's not necessarily the product that's going to, that's going to be your long-term windfall of revenue. But if you can make it really easy for someone to acquire, like the, almost a no-brainer decision, like what do I have to lose? And you give them 10, 20, 50 times the value that they got in there, that's that's a good way to start a relationship. Um, Absolutely. That's, that's kind of how we're looking at it. Yeah. And so that is what your I saw on your site, uh, the $47 course, that is your tripwire. Yep. Okay. Yep. Excellent. Good, good. Okay. Um, so you mentioned it's all inbound. I also saw that you had a podcast, but the last episode is from September. Can I ask why you, did you not, not see any ROI to continue it? Yeah, man. So I, I loved the podcast. If I, if I had had this to do every, I might try to find a way to make money on, a, on just doing a podcast. Cause I, I, I love having an in to talk to smart people. Right. Like I can just say, hey, can you can you join? Because I'm learning from my guests as I'm as I'm interviewing. Um, so I really love doing it. The first iteration of the podcast, I realized after a handful of episodes, I was doing a good job of creating content largely for other people, though, like my guests got because it was interview based. And and so my my guests would probably walk away with significantly more content 
than I would. And I, and I started it thinking it would be a lot of content for me to repurpose. So like clips and stuff on, uh, on, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't, it wasn't playing out after the first handful of, of episodes. So then I, I tweaked it and was going to do uh, more monologue, like just, just me on there. And the, I, I, I never executed it consistently. It was, I'm as, so that when, if you ever read my post, I'm usually talking about myself, right? Like, so I'm, I'm as guilty for shiny objects as anybody else. And I'm like, podcast. Yeah, let's do it. Like, let's, yeah. let's do, okay, I'll jump on that. And I enjoyed doing it, but it was, a, it was a matter of, I put the tactics ahead of the strategy. So I, you know, I had, I had this tool and I had the channel, but I, it didn't fit intentionally into a broader strategy. It was just something that I wanted to do and seemed like fun and seemed like good content. And I, um, yeah, so I pulled the plug when I realized it just wasn't, it wasn't giving, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to it. It's like, okay. it's, it's on pause, but, um, I, yeah, it just wasn't. I really enjoy them, and I, <laughs> I hope you don't mind a compliment. You have a really good speaking voice. You sound like you trained as a speaker. Is that? Did you do anything as like a radio speaker or anything like that? No, I did not. Okay, sorry. It's it's. I really enjoyed, and you speak also very kind of fluidly. There's no filler words and so on. So I, everybody should check it out. I listened to half of your episodes. Especially, I like the playbook one, which was the last one. So definitely, people should go and check that out. I'll I'll share a link in the comments. Of, or whatever around this video it's going to be definitely check it out because especially if you're interested in the the whole topic of systematizing your sales approach ray's playbook episode is truly excellent so that's a quick note quick note to the listeners thanks Appreciate yeah, that. Good. yeah good okay so curious about niching you're not overtly niching in what you do, right? When I look at your LinkedIn profile, I, I couldn't really tell which industry you're going for. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts around that? You know, it's it's funny because like I said, last year and a half, maybe two years, I have, I've done all of my work has been in a niche and it's been coaching and consulting programs that are, mm-hmm. you know, five to 20, 25 million. And I kind of joke about it now that the marketing the marketing that helped, the marketing that works um, was just ahead of the marketing that doesn't. It's like my website and a lot of the stuff that I thought was really, really important when I got started, you know, so I, you know, I spent a lot of money and time building out this website and all this other shit. And then what I realized was that wasn't the thing that was going to get me a bunch of clients, right? Like Ray Green is not being found in SEO on Google for, for sales or anything like that. So I had, guilty, I had done- Same way, guilty. Yeah, I think we all are to a degree. Yeah. So I have all this marketing out there that isn't driving clients. And what I learned was, hey, just starting conversations on on LinkedIn and engaging people that engage your content and doing really great work and putting it in front of similar types of businesses that likely need the same type. Those are the marketing tactics that I have found that actually drive money. And then I have all these other marketing things, assets that haven't quite, I haven't updated because like I, as much time as I spent on things like the website, when it came time to like actually generating revenue and shit, I was like, all right, I need to really go update that website at some point, but I'm busy with actual work and I want to keep doing the stuff that actually works. So some of my stuff just hasn't caught up. Does the free, does the free lead magnet drive any business for you? The free lead magnet drives engagement, but no, 
Like I've not, yeah. I've, it's not been a great client generation tool. And we, I would like to, I think it's a, a better tool for engagement. So we're actually retooling this right now. And what I'll, what I'll probably do is still continue to produce free assets that you can get in exchange, whether it's gated or not. Um, but I want, I want to use that as an introduction to more communications and more engagement, not necessarily, Hey, you downloaded my guide. You must therefore by default want to buy my stuff. Yeah. Right. And that's, exactly. that's not, it's not necessarily the, the way that, or it hasn't, maybe I'm doing it wrong, but it hasn't, hasn't driven a lot of our business. Yeah. Yeah. Can you pinpoint, because you mentioned what are the activities that drive clients? Can you dive a little bit more into this? Do you have a feeling for what type of content that you put out drives more engagement and thus clients, or is there any, any correlation that you see, or is it mostly a black box for you? Like for most people? I use, so I actually use, I mentioned Justin earlier, I actually use his, like in his LinkedIn operating system, he breaks down his content. And so in my, in my workflow where I have all my LinkedIn ideas, it's broken down by promotional, educational entertainment, right? Mm. I'm either, I'm either teaching the audience, entertaining the audience or, um, or directly promoting my stuff. I have found that entertaining types of posts, posts that are like, they're on, they're on brand, but they're not they get a lot of engagement. They might widen the net of people that are, that are seeing content, but don't necessarily drive business. The teaching stuff, I think over time, like marketing is about repetition, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. there's like, it's not a one at one time act. So over time, I think it builds your authority and credibility for people to, to reach out. So the clients that we've gotten from content typically say, yeah, I've been watching your stuff for months. Right. And they, and they might reach out. And then the, the promotional pieces, they get less engagement, but they drive sales. Mm. And, you know, for a while I was really, I was reluctant to promote, like directly promote on LinkedIn. Um, for some reason, like I fell into this, Hey, it's for content. You're supposed to share value. You're supposed to like, you're not supposed to ask for money. And I think that's, that's true to a degree, but it's a balance, right? If it's you're possible. adding value on a consistent basis, it affords you the right, like periodically to say, by the way, we sell stuff. Um, and if you want to buy it, you can. And, you know, if we, um, almost all of our direct sales on the transactional stuff has come from a LinkedIn post and the client stuff has come from the teaching, but over, over time, no one sees one post and sends me a message, you know? Of course. Yeah, exactly. And I, it's usually also, I don't know if this is your experience as well, the people who do become clients tend to not be very busy engagers. They're the mm -hmm. lurker, right? Yeah. Um, very, you're right. Um, yeah, maybe half. Like I'd say the good number of people oh. that we, we work with, they've never liked a post. They've never commented on a post. They've never, like, I didn't know that they were there, mm -hmm. but I guess that's where the, you know, when LinkedIn says 10,000 people see your stuff and maybe 50 say something about it, like that's, that's where all the others are at, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there's a big, nice pool of 9,950 people too, that you can fish in, in this yep. context. Yeah, exactly. So I somehow missed, and I look in my notes, uh, you mentioned strategy that the podcast as a tactic didn't fit in your strategy. Mm -hmm. What is your strategy? How, how would you frame it? How would you formulate it? Um, the way I would formulate it is it's a lot clearer in 2022 than it was in 2021 and in 2021 was clearer than 2020. Like it's been a, it's been an evolving process right now. We are, like I'm making a, a very deliberate move towards 
done with you type of services as opposed to done for you services. So the reason I'm, I'm reducing the number of fractional clients that I want to take is I would like to move more into the space where, you know, we're, we're coaching people, we're helping people, we're guiding people, we're creating products, we're creating assets, um, more so than just doing work. Right. And up, up to this point, the overwhelming majority, if not all of it has been, done for you type of work it's it's been fractional work even the audit to a degree is still done for you it still requires me to get in and break things down less so than when i first rolled it out and so each the way that i mapped out the year and i have like a little framework that i use to map out you know what's the goal at the end of the year then break that into the quarterly rocks like what these are the three things that need to occur each quarter in order to move those forward um and and right now it's a it's it's a move towards coaching and done with you and uh, reducing the amount of fractional work that we're that we're doing. Okay, so that's the goal. And what are your means of getting there simply filtering the inbound clients that come your way and only allowing new deals to be done with you as opposed to done for you? Or are you changing anything in your marketing and how you communicate as well? Yeah, really good question. So we are doing I'm promoting the audit less. Um, and when we complete an audit, the likelihood that I will do that work, unless it was just like obscenely priced, is is very low right now. Um, it's so because you said something on one of the podcasts that you had recently about the power of focus, and one thing that I've I've learned is the you know at one point when I have multiple fractional clients and I'm doing some coaching and I'm doing this is that you miss out on the compounding effect of focus when you have very few things to, to be thinking about. So having one fractional client, I think affords me to give them the best possible work that I'm capable of. And at some point when the only focus is products and our, our internal services and not any of the done for you work, um, I think that that focus is just gonna get more, more powerful. So- Absolutely. We're still selling the audit. We're not doing much uh, of the of the follow-on work, and we're using the time that we were doing that, and we're we're rolling out the the programs and the courses and stuff that you'd mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I obviously need to ask you about the mistakes you've made along the way. So do you want to share a little bit of that? What are the big ones? Oh man, there are a million. Um, I think the the biggest mistake that I probably made was not getting like ruthless with figuring out who I'm talking to. Like one of the, one of the challenges, and I, and I, I talked to a lot of executives that feel the same way. So you, you I, I, when I got out of this, like the traditional job thing, I said, okay, I've done sales stuff. I've done marketing stuff. I've done leadership. I've done management. I've done, you know, you name it. Right. And so then when I want to go sell myself, I think that a wider net, is somehow going to help me, right? Like I'm being capable of doing a lot of things and solving a lot of problems. And what I found is like, that just makes it a, it's a huge pain in the ass to market that way. Like it's, it's very, very difficult to market something because it comes across as generic. It's really easy to get commoditized. So getting really focused on who it is that you're talking to and you know, what, like, and what I wanted to do, like the first thing that I would want to do, I, like I call it vision founder fit, like figure out what you want to do first. The fact that I was, that I was sitting in an office saying, I'm a consultant, I'm a coach, I'm a fractional contractor. I made, you know, whatever you need me to be really wasn't, 
it, what, what, what I needed to do. And I, I did eventually, but I had to sit and figure out what do you want to be? Like, what is your superpower? What do you really, uh, are we allowed to say F-bombs on here? Right, what are you yes. really, really fucking good at? Not mm -hmm. what can you do? Cause you can do a lot of shit. Like what's the stuff that when you do it, it's very, very tough for somebody else to compete with you. And once I started figuring that out and getting clear, like getting my own like vision founder fit, like I, the last thing I wanted to do was build this operation or this business and end up hating it in two years. And that's what happens a lot of times. Like if you just chase people that have money, instead of sitting down and figuring out what you want to do first and then figuring out what problem you want to solve for what audience, like the lack of clarity lends itself to just being reactive and you end up chasing money until the point that there's a good chance that you might wake up three years from now and go, I don't like going to work. And I did this to myself, right? So getting really clear on the front end and then getting, getting really clear on the problem that I wanted to solve is, is something I think is, I would do over again. I, I couldn't agree more with you. However, if I may like push back slightly, I do feel that this is something that naturally people have to go through rather than this being a mistake. Because I think when you're starting out, unless you've already had very specific experience that you sim as an employee that you want to continue doing as a consultant freelancer, you don't know enough. And I think it's a it's fine if in the first year you just throw a couple of things on the wall and see what sticks you, you cast the net wide. But I think what most people then miss doing, and that's why maybe they're struggling for longer than they need, is that they miss seeing the signals of, yes, I have a vision for myself, what I want to do. And these types of people seem to respond to that. So now let's start reducing the net and cast it more narrowly. So... I 100% agree with you. I think that's great. I, I, I've had ex similar experiences as well. I feel that just maybe, I don't know, if by calling it a mistake, maybe we're being too hard on ourselves because I think it's a natural process of a freelance consultant, whatever you want to call us. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, to a degree. Like, so the, like, I think the process that you're explaining, I, I, I agree with that because it's, it's like product market fit, right? Like nothing is yeah. truly locked in. And so you're both things are a little bit flexible. So you're looking for data points. And then when you, when you find those data points, you lock in and then you, you iterate and adjust around it. And I think that that makes sense. The only, the caveat I would say is, um, and I got this actually from a, from, from my coach, my coach had me go through this exercise, uh, like two years ago and said, tell me what makes you feel alive? Like what makes you Ray green? What makes you feel alive? Like when you're doing it, what's the work that when you do it, you find flow. What's the work that when you're doing it, you like completely lose track of time. You love doing it. It gives you energy. And then like, what do you feel threatened by? Like, what's the work that you don't, or you really don't like, you can do it. It probably pays like, but what's the stuff. And it was, it was really just an internal reflection into, all right, just and, and what it does is it sets a little bit of a foundation so that when you get those initial data points on your in your product market fit that it, it, it at least aligns with what your your personal objectives are and and that i think that it's more important probably for solopreneurs executive freelancers maybe even more so than like entrepreneurs that are building a big scalable business because they're not going to be personally identified and executing the work and everything right whereas as a solopreneur if i start taking clients or i start seeing the data points for something that inevitably I don't even like doing the work. Like it's just something that pays me. And then that helps me get another client doing the same thing. 
And then that helps me get another client to do the same thing. You could end up at a place where you've got clients and you've got product market fit, but you don't love it. And mm -hmm. I, I've learned, I feel like the hard way and you're, and you're right. Maybe it's just an evolutionary process that you just, you learn through experience and, you know, maybe there's no way to necessarily completely fast track it, but I would, I would get a little bit more clear on my own. Like, what am I trying to build here? Like, what am mm -hmm. I trying to do? Um, yeah. other, than, other than just get money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing that I find very helpful as a, as a thought is that there are really so many different ways how you can make this work that as long as it's something that's reasonable. And I think too many people start out because the thing is my specialization where I work with people is very often at the very beginnings when they are about to formulate the product market fit. So I see mm -hmm. this a lot. And I think one of the things that holds people back a lot is when they are trying to do something too exotic. When mm -hmm. it's, I think very, it might make sense that you, instead of saying, I, whatever, no good example comes to me, but if you try to do something very exotic in the mindset niche, how about you just start out being an executive coach? That's it. And then you work from there. Then you see what do you enjoy doing with that person. And then you can see, ah, there's really people are responding to this part of my executive coaching. Maybe I can turn this into a brand. And now I'm the starlight visualization coach, whatever it is, you know, that things becomes then the exotic thing. Yep. But I think starting out mainstream and then sort of balancing your way towards something more unique and a more personal brand and at least I feel that's usually the right path to go because, because you get rewarded more. You get the clients, right? You could, if you do something too exotic, you may go for six months without getting a client. Yep. Whereas if you just, if you're competent, start as an executive coach, you will get clients. I did. It's a really good point because I'm looking back at like the, some of the early tests that I did. And one of the things that I really wanted to work with were organizations that wanted to revitalize or improve their culture. And so I went into like the culture space, but what I've, what I've learned, I think that I've learned is that it's actually better to, to not go quite as exotic as that. It's, it's what's the symptom of that problem, right? Exactly. Because the CEO of that company usually isn't saying like, how do I fix my culture? It's usually, how do I fix turnover or how do I fix this? And so understanding what the symptoms of the root cause maybe i mean you said like mindset like and there may be some people it's, it's common enough now that they're looking for a mindset coach but to your point like they're they're usually looking at not necessarily at something so broad and exotic it's find the problem that they're trying to solve and then and then back into the root cause don't try to sell the root cause at the beginning one of my one of my clients calls it the the chocolate covered broccoli right like you you gotta they need the broccoli but you gotta put some chocolate on it because that's what they're that's what they're usually looking for right yeah very so interesting because I just was now on a client call where we discussed this and there's a small tweak that I would apply to what you said instead of looking for the problem look for the pain because the problem is actually the culture that they have but yep. the pain is the turnover oh mm -hmm. my my employees are leaving me and that is the pain point that is what they respond viscerally to and that's why if you have in your profile I help companies reduce employee turnover or slash employee turnover in half or something like that, something evocative, that's going to land better than if you said, I have companies fix bad culture. 
yep, because it's too true. nebulous and it's not emotionally, viscerally appealing enough. At least that's the hypothesis. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. And they, um, the the problem in the pain. I actually talked about that in the course because it's not necessarily the same. Like you can have a business problem, but that's not necessarily the pain. And that's to the business too. Like there's a pain that's causing the business, and then there's probably some pain that it's causing that particular CEO too. You know, like oh, yeah. what, why he or she is losing sleep over it. And when you understand the pains that are associated with it, it's a very different approach and path to marketing than like the more exotic things, as you called it. Absolutely. And th this is why also the pain, when you formulate them, it's it's really a good idea to formulate them in I, you know, I just cannot understand why employees are leaving me, right? Because this will speak to the actual decision maker. And yeah. this then in turn will become great source of content. So anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. This is about you. Yeah, no, <laughs> like we can, well, we can talk about this forever. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Cool. Well, I just wrote down what makes you feel alive, that this was what your coach asked you. So can you tell me when you asked yourself that question, what answer came up for you? Um, so a few things like there were one of them was learning opportunities. Like, I don't want to necessarily be the only I don't want to be the only person with answers. Like, I like to be in environments where I'm contributing and I'm learning at the same time, which is why I love working with the coaching programs and the consulting programs, right? Like I'm just feel like I feel like I'm digesting a whole bunch of information, and in return, I'm I'm giving some like some some value in return. Um, so that's 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 really important. The the cultural element, uh, like working with companies that I just wasn't aligned with, um, where I felt like a a mercenary or like just a pure operator that was there to execute a very set specific thing, despite all the the culture, like there may be cultural misalignments. And I've, I've had, a, I had a couple of those that I realized the money wasn't worth it, right? Like the, the environment that, that you're in just wasn't, wasn't worth it. Um, and the, the other piece was respect for, for time. Like I, I have to, cause I, I was at a point where I'm like, all right, if a client says call start at seven in the morning, I gotta be there at seven in the morning. And no, I don't like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a business owner and I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a solopreneur. I don't. And I, I'm, I'm really strange. I need my mornings. I'm it's, I, I've learned this about myself for a decade now. When I, when I don't do the things that I'm supposed to do in the morning, like things that I've imposed on myself, obviously, but my day sucks. Like, so why hand that over to somebody because it's a, because they're, they're giving me pay, right? Like I, I, I went out on my own to have more control, to have more flexibility, to be independent. And then, I'm, I'm not, I'm not actually following through with that. So I think there were, there were some internal things that I had to really think through and think, okay, like start saying no to certain things and understand what your boundaries are and the type of, you know, the type of work that, that I wanted to do. In that context, Cabo in, is then not the ideal place for that because everybody, most of the people you're working with are going to be after, you know, what do you mean? Isn't is it like it's gonna be they will want you to talk early in the morning because if they're on the east coast or maybe even in Europe, but you only work with American companies, is that right? Mostly I have client in Japan and Australia. Um, okay. mostly though it's yeah, like but it's uh it's my it's my morning. Um, okay. 
Yeah, no, no. I was just wondering because from a time zone perspective, it's very much in the West, so that's why it could be it could be tricky. But it's not a not a problem for you. I have a I have a friend who has mostly clients in Australia, and so he's getting up at three a.m. in the morning. So that's not something that would work for you. <laughs> well, you know what I did? There was I had a client at one point that I really loved the completely alternate schedule because when when we were more aligned on on time, he was he was like in my it was like disruptions all the time, right? And when when he moved to a place that we were like almost the exact opposite time zone, I yeah. loved it because we could get clear on what we're what we need to accomplish, and then I was left alone to focus and do and do deep work, you know. And mm -hmm. that was and that was another one. Like when I was when I was doing my 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 self evaluation was, I don't like doing surface level shit. Like it's I want to be I want to be able to have time to do real deep thorough work and do the right thing and not necessarily just take orders from a client. Like I want to actually, mm. I want to be a doctor. I want to prescribe the right stuff at, yeah. at the root level. And if I'm not able to do the work that I'm best equipped to do at that, then it's, this is not the engagement. I mean, there's, there's millions of companies. So mm. it's not the engagement for me. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, last question. You mentioned you have a team. What do they do? What kind of team members do you have? Yeah. So I have, um, two and a half people, three people. Um, we, one is a sales coach. And so when we go into fractional engagements, um, she'll help me with the sales management piece. Like, so doing the sales coaching with the team and, you know, call monitoring and, and review things like that. Um, playbook development. Uh, I have one that's, uh, somebody that's just a, a pure admin, like keeping, keeping all the, the emails and the backend stuff, um, done. And then I have, um, and I mentioned this in the course, I have a Swiss army knife, which is probably the, uh, the luckiest thing that I managed to, to do, but not really sure what I was doing at the time. But I, I hired Cindy as a Swiss army knife. And I said, Hey, I'm at a point I'm by myself. I've got too much work to do. I have not a clue what I need you to do, but I know I need help and I need somebody that can, I'm too busy to stop and kind of like formulate the right onboarding. So it was like all the stuff you're not supposed to do in a hiring process. Um, and she jumped right in and said, all right, I'll figure it out. And amazing. Like, and, and so that's part admin work. That's part ops stuff. It's part playbook stuff. It's part, it's just somebody that's versatile enough to, to, you know, okay, cool. I can put that Kajabi thing together or I can mm. help your memo or yes, I'll help you manage your calendar. Um, so that's our, that's our team. Amazing. Ray, thank you so much. It was so illuminating. Is there anything I should have asked you about the secret to your success that I haven't? No, man, there's no, there is no secret. I think the, I mean, no, all bullshit aside, like all of us are out here, we're, we're all blazing a somewhat new path and there's a ton of experimentation. I think the only thing that I would say that I, that we didn't hit on that I would is, and this might be self-serving, but serving for you too, is some of the biggest leaps forward that I made were from making investments in people that had knowledge that I didn't know that I needed, right? Like I, I didn't know the power of a, of a simple funnel until somebody talked me into joining their program and teaching me about it. And I went, holy shit, I don't need this big, huge, robust website. Like it's, you can just do really targeted, targeted marketing and communications. Um, so making investments with, with people that have the knowledge that I needed to do was something that fast-tracked me. And if I had done more of it sooner, I probably would have um, gotten to where we are faster in my view. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there's yeah. A, lot of, a lot of great resources out there. People that 
have the ability to, to accelerate your path. And if you pick wisely, um, they can, they can, at least for me, they did. Um, and they've, they've been very, very effective at helping me move forward. Absolutely. I 100% agree. The, the one thing that I find challenging in this context is understanding where you need help, in which area. There should, sure. be, there should be something of like a meta coach, that somebody who comes in and <laughs> tells you, listen, okay, I'm auditing. Like, maybe that's actually a product in yeah. this, that just, you actually go in and you do like whatever. It's like a you know, thousand bucks thing, you know, where you just kind of audit their entire business and you independently assess and tell them, I think in your case, look at, you're not getting any leads. You're doing great on content. You're not getting any leads. You need to build a, okay, what can you do? Can you do ads? Can you afford that? No. Okay. You then do cold outbound. How to do cold outbound? Look at this guy, for example, right? So like more of a, let's analyze your situation and tell you what you need next. I think some people might benefit from that. I think a lot of people would, and it's really in line with, um, I was listening to something else of yours on, on the LinkedIn coach piece. And what I loved about your message about hiring like a LinkedIn coach is, does it necessarily fit into the broader strategy? Like it's a very tactical, like specific thing, but does it like your LinkedIn, a LinkedIn coach is always going to sell you LinkedIn advice, right? Yeah. But it, is that part of the broader strategic thing? And I think what I, what I like what you're saying with an audit is just get an objective assessment of where you are and then the you know understanding where you need help and then getting the right resources there and i i don't know that that exists but yeah it's, uh, we might have landed on something here right i'll uh, yeah. follow up with you on that yeah let's see let's see who executes it first okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's uh it's, it's a really good idea but that's the investments in people and in the learning like it's out there somebody's somebody has done it and yeah um and and that i think it would be one piece of advice absolutely 100 percent agree Awesome, Ray. It's been such a blast having you on. Really enjoyed this and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks where for can, having me. Where should people go to learn more about you? Obviously, LinkedIn. Is there anything else you want them to check LinkedIn, out? LinkedIn. And we just we just re-released the website. So rayjgreen.com. Um, let me know what awesome. you think. Thanks a lot, man. Cool. Thanks, man. The State of Client Acquisition is a Content360 production. Music by Gavin Knox Grant. To sign up for alerts and to submit written and audio questions, go to stateofclientacquisition.com.